Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. Welcome into the install with Greg Cosell of NFL Films Playoff Edition. Greg, this is the exciting time of the year. I know you're as excited to get into these matchups as everybody else is to watch them. It's uh, really, really great, and I'm having a great time on my week off. It's not bad to yeah, be you get a, a pro sports off. fan here in Tennessee. Yeah, you, you get a week off, Buck. I don't, so, you know. Uh... <laughs> well, this is this is going to be the <laughs> podcast where Greg carries me because my the team that I cover, we I don't I don't. There's not much to add other than what they did on Sunday in the passing game, Greg. Because I think when you look at the Titans and and what has kind of been their their biggest inconsistency, for lack of a better term, outside of health, has yeah. been that passing game. And Ryan Tannehill in the second quarter and after they broke through in the second half, uh, that's about as good a football game as we've seen from him, other than the Thursday nighter against San Fran. Well. Number one, there were two things that really stood out. Uh, Tannehill was outstanding off play action. Yeah. And he was outstanding on third down. And I think that the third down part is really critical because I think that two things must be executed well for the Titans offense to be effective in the playoffs. And obviously next week we'll speak more specifically about the matchup when we know who it is, but we know they're going to run the ball, Buck. So that's we don't need to talk about that. Yeah. Um, we know Henry will be back. We know they're going to run it. That's going to be the starting point of their offense. So what must be executed well for them to really have an offense that you feel good about, no matter who the opponent is, is what I call conventional play action, meaning Tannehill's under center, not in the gun, and third down passing. If they can do those two things well, then they've got a chance to be the kind of offense that we've seen the last couple of years where essentially they put up 30 points on average. Um, and I think if they can do that, they've got a really, really good chance. Yeah. I mean, to your point, they were converting as an offense over 61% of their third downs against the Texans. The, defensively, though, Greg, that third quarter got pretty rocky. I mean, Davis Mills – Gave him, uh, gave him some problems, and, and 36-year-old Julian Edelman, or excuse me, Danny, Danny Amendola, um, out of nowhere, it felt like. Was there anything that stood out to you from a personnel standpoint that uh, you, if, if you were in a Mike Vrabel press conference, you'd like to know the answer to? Nah, no, I mean, look, uh, I think the Titans, they have a, a defined defensive profile, particularly versus pass. They're not a high-percentage blitz defense. Their pressure profile has been predominantly four-man D-line pressure. Yeah, They have multiple stun concepts. They're very good with stunts. As I said, multiple. They'll have TT stunts inside. They'll have ET stunts, which means the end goes first, and the tackle loops. They'll have TE stunts, which means the tackle's the penetrator, and the end is the looper. Um, they do those things very well. The other thing we see a lot of with them is what we call four-man zone exchange pressures, meaning that 
They play zone coverage. They still rush four, but one of the four is either a linebacker or or the slot corner. Molden has been a big uh, fourth rusher in that scheme. Cunningham, we saw this week, being a fourth rusher in that scheme. But there's still four-man pressures. Now, there's some five-man pressures thrown in on occasion. It's not as if they never rush five. But their defensive profile essentially has been four-man defensive line pressure because they've been good enough to do it. Um, You know, look, you can talk about specific plays this week. You have to, you know, obviously – when it, when uh, Davis Mills, who, by the way, is a very interesting player to me, but that's uh, for another conversation. Um, you know, some of the throws he hit, they, they came again zone. Um, you know, uh, he uh, he made some just some really good throws um, against cover two against, um, I think, two big ones. I remember Cook's 25 yards on third and 15 in the second quarter came versus cover two. When he hit Collins for 30 yards on the first play of the fourth quarter, that was also covered too. And that was a four-man zone exchange pressure in which Cunningham was the fourth rusher. So he had some throws against cover two. He hit Amendola on the 26-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter, which was the play right after Molden went out. So Jackson was actually the slot corner, and Amendola beat him on the slot fade. So is it worrisome? Probably not. They've been a good defense all season. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how how much different they look if at all not different from a schematic standpoint, but if they're able to with just healthy bodies uh, do a little bit of this stuff more consistently. Certainly in the passing game, like we're talking about. Well, that's critical. I mean, look, it's interesting when you hear you know analysts talk on TV and they say things like, "Well, they can run on anybody," and we know that's not true. You know, that's being said now about the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, they can run on anybody. And last year going into the playoffs, what was said, the Titans can run on anybody, right? Until they got into the playoffs. And amazingly enough, they didn't run on the Ravens. Yeah. So you have to be careful about those kind of blanket, platitudinous, absolutist statements. You know, (laughs) obviously they're a running team and Derrick Henry is the best back in football when healthy. So they're going to run the ball but volume doesn't automatically mean production when you get to the playoffs. Yeah, well, and I've been I've been trying to tell people that as far as expectations for Derek, whenever it is that he gets out onto the field, exactly. I mean, you know, it, it may not look exactly like you want it to look right out the gate based on the matchup right. and based on how people are going to adapt to the Titans' tendencies because we all know that they want to run the ball. But from a matchup standpoint, Greg, obviously there's four teams that could potentially end up here in Nashville and some really interesting wildcard weekend games uh, between Cincinnati and the Raiders, I think is probably the place that I'd like to start. We've talked a lot about Joe Burrow and what they've been able to do with him offensively and the big playability of Jamar Chase, but this Raiders defense and particularly Mac, Max Crosby, uh, I don't know if I've just not been watching a lot of Raiders football this year, but I was shocked at how much pressure they were able to get on Justin Herbert throughout the course of that Chargers game. What what do the Raiders do well as a team right now, and what makes them dangerous as an opponent? Well, you can talk about their defense. And again, it's a defense without a lot of mystery to it, Buck. It's a team that predominantly rushes four. Yeah. They play, they play 
I think the highest percentage of cover three in the league, um, and that's his own coverage, but they do play cover one, which is the, the man version with a single high safety. They do play that. Um, they, they're another team that is able to generate pressure relatively consistently with their down four. Um, you know, these two teams played week 11 and it was a very odd game. The, the, um, Bengals ended up running the ball really well later in the game. And Mixon ended up with 28, 29 carries, if memory serves me correctly, yeah. um, including a 20-some-odd-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter that kind of, I think, helped put the game away. But Burrow had 20 completions for only about 140 yards. It was a really odd game. And I don't expect that to happen again. But I think one thing that you have to be aware of in this game, we know how good Burrow has been, okay? Mm-hmm. We know how good Jamar Chase has been. We know how good T. Higgins has been. But their offensive line is an issue in pass protection. They've struggled all season in one-on-one pass protection. And I'm very curious to see what the Bengals' pass protection approach is. The Bengals love to play out of empty sets, they played out of empty sets, the second most in the league behind the Rams and Matthew Stafford. And if you're an empty, now you can still chip when you're an empty because your inside receivers to each side can chip. Titans did it against the 49ers like we talked about. Cor- correct. And they've done it a few other times since then. That is correct. Um, but I just don't think they can rely on their their offensive line, their five offensive linemen to pass protect snap after snap against this Raiders front, particularly on the edges. Uh, Williams, Jonah Williams at left tackle, struggles in one-on-one pass protection. He'll most likely get Yannick Ngakwe. And then the right tackle, I believe, will be Isaiah Prince. Um, Because Riley Reef, I believe, is out for the year. So Isaiah Prince, is he'll play right tackle, and he's going to be matched up against Crosby. That is a tough, tough matchup. You know, as good as Burrow's been, he I think you're going to see him have to move a bit. And by the way, week 11 in that game, he was anticipating pressure. He was perceiving pressure at times. He was not comfortable in that game week 11 against the Raiders. Well, and as you've said so many times on this podcast and and we know on the matchup show as well, any weakness can pop up in any particular week against any team. And and this has kind of been the theme, as you mentioned, all year long with the Cincinnati Bengals going back as far as the draft. How would they address the protection? You know, and and one other point, you know, everybody has seen in recent weeks, Burrow, who's very aggressive throwing the ball down the field, particularly one-on-one shots outside the numbers. We've seen them be very successful both with Chase and T. Higgins doing that. But in that Week 11 game against the Raiders, he took some shots to Chase down the field one-on-one versus face-on the corner who's playing because uh, Trayvon Mullen is out for the year. And Faison did a very good job on Chase in that game. So, you know, the one-on-one throws are not automatic. Just because we've seen a bunch of those in recent weeks doesn't mean it's going to happen every week. So with with this week and with the kind of matchups, a lot of rematches from the regular season, Bill's Patriots obviously in a divisional rematch as well Uh, we know the weather conditions are going to be cold but how you know it's not like there's going to be another windstorm or something like that we don't know what bill belichick is going to do but at this point this bill's defense greg it does feel like there are some ways for a team built like the patriots offensively to be able to exploit them 
Um, what, what do you, th- how, how have those first two games gone? And given what we saw from such a run heavy approach by Belichick in the first game, how do we think they will kind of try and attack this defense the second time around? Well, I, I look with Bill Belichick, you know, uh, you can't figure out what he might do. So I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, this is going to happen. Definitively. Sure. <clears throat> right. But I think there are a certain kind of team offensively. I don't think that you can go into a game, and I believe it's going to be, they say, two or four degrees. Um, I don't think they're going to go into a game and say, you know what, we want Mac Jones to throw it 45 times by choice. Right. I, I, I can't imagine that would happen. So I think w- the starting point will still be their run game on offense. The question is how they choose to run it. The Bills want to play in their nickel. They've had many, many, many games this year where they have played nickel on every snap, every Mm -hmm. snap. And for the season, they've played nickel well over 90% of their defensive snaps. The two games in which they haven't played that much nickel relative to what they normally do have been the two games against the Patriots. I would expect that you'll see the Patriots line up with their fullback, Jakob Johnson. I would expect you'll see them line up with six offensive linemen, try to get the Bills out of their comfort zone of playing nickel. Get them to play with three linebackers. Now, A.J. Klein's a good player. He's their third linebacker. But that's not how they clearly want to play. And then work off that. That's what I would expect to see happen. New England's defense is, is always going to be good. But, I mean, Kyle Duggar at safety has been so good for He's them really throughout good, the yeah. course of the year. And we know that Josh Allen is capable of completely taking over a game. They do ask him to do an awful do lot. That. Yeah. But at this point, I mean, what is there any is there any reason why this would look any differently, the Patriots' approach from the way that these last two Bills games have gone? Sure. I mean, well, let's put it this way. I think the game will still be put in Josh Allen's hands. Right. But they have attempted to run the ball more these last number of weeks, clearly. Uh, two weeks ago against Atlanta, um, in a close game, they – Definitely committed to running the football with Devin Singletary, who's the number one back without question. Sure. Uh, So the question is, what do they do in this game? The last time they played, which was week 16, they made no bones about the fact that this is Josh Allen's game. Let's put the ball in his hands. Let him be Josh Allen. He had no turnovers. I don't know if he was sacked in that game. I don't believe he was. Um, So if he does that, he is capable of special plays. He's he's the most physically gifted quarterback in the game. So he's capable of being special any given week. But there is at times a reckless, undisciplined nature to his play, and that can crop up as well. And in this game, I don't think you can survive three turnovers. So, right. so we'll see. I mean, Josh Allen is is – really kind of fun to watch, but he can be a little reckless and undisciplined. So if he can play a clean game, then I think the Bills would have a very, very legitimate chance to win. But I'm curious to see what their run-pass ratio will be, given that they have committed a little more to the run, but I think they know they're not going to beat the Patriots running the ball. Yeah, I mean, that defense uh, up front has been stout all year long outside of a few explosive plays on the ground that they gave up to the Titans. But like those, the, the personnel that they were using, I heard uh, one of their defensive tackles, I think it was Godshaw talking about it. They were in passing personnel on 
that uh, pass defense personnel on that Hilliard explosive run to be specific. They haven't done that a lot throughout the course of the season. Steelers, Chiefs, Greg, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't want to be unfair to Ben Roethlisberger. Good on him for getting into the playoffs and the way they, they are winning. They have won games. In fact, the Titans win is the reason that they're basically in the postseason at this point. Um, with the way that the Kansas City defense, though, has been giving up yardage down the field in the last couple of weeks, is there anything that's different about Kansas City, or is it just an execution thing? Well, they didn't give up much in the final game of the season in the past game to Drew Locke. Um, so, you know, I think their defense, for the most part, down this last stretch of the season, um, and they were really responsible for their initial turnaround, the Chiefs' defense, um, as Mahomes kind of worked his way back into playing. And their offense, sure. by the way, looks totally different. It's efficient, but it looks totally different than the Kansas City offense we've been used to seeing the last two, three years. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I would imagine that the Chiefs defense, from a tactical perspective, will be aggressive. Um, they play cover one. They pressure. They will blitz. They play cover two. They play a ton of cover two, and they get to it with disguise and late movement. I think you'll see a lot of that, Buck, because one thing we've seen with Roethlisberger is he kind of gets stuck in the pocket a lot, and he's not the guy he was five, six, ten years ago. I mean, it feels like he's been playing for 30 years. He's not the guy who's he was where – you know, he can move around. He can sh shed bodies. He's not that guy anymore. So very often when he gets stuck in the pocket, he ends up making kind of an undefined short throw or even getting sacked. So I would expect that Steve Spagnola, the D coordinator for uh, Kansas City, will be aggressive. I don't think he's going to sit back. So when, when you talk about the uh, when you talk about the offense for the Chiefs being totally different than what we've been accustomed to in the last couple of years, how much of that, Greg, is them kind of trying to play to the strength of their offensive line? Because we've talked about that they're not necessarily built to pass protect no. the way that previous Chiefs teams have been. Well, some of it could be that, and we don't know what the what the reasons sure. are because we're not there. Um, but I also think that early in the year you saw Patrick Mahomes with a lot of unnecessary movement that became too random. And we know he can be great at that, but it started to go in the wrong direction. And I give credit to the staff. I give a ton of credit to Mahomes. Um, but if you've noticed, if you've really watched them carefully over the last five, six, seven weeks, this offense has become very timing-based, very rhythmic. The ball comes out of Mahomes' hands quickly. Yeah. He's not waiting in the pocket. He's not looking to move. Now his movements tend to be calculated as opposed to unnecessary. Um, and so – and, and a numerical representation of this is the fact that his yards per attempt is down by one yard from the last three years. So their offense looks different, but it's been very, very efficient. Yeah, and that's exactly what you need him to be right now as you get ready for the And always game. capable, though, obviously, of the big play either with his arm or with his legs. Well, and just because they've got those wide receivers, I don't, I don't know what the status of Tyreek Hill is. Is going to be. He was clearly uh, limping through that last game against Denver or Travis Kelsey for that matter, but they do have great uh, playmakers in space. Um, on the NFC side of the board, Greg, the, the Philadelphia Tampa Bay game is interesting because I, it feels like Tampa's not quite at full strength for all the personnel things that they've been dealing with. Uh, well, they got some people back today. I know Levante David came off IR. Yeah. Um, so I assume he'll play. Um, he's a very good player. It's a fascinating game because. 
the Bucks are not quite the same run defense that they were a year ago. And the Eagles run game, that zone run game and inside or zone read game with the inside zone element, that is really difficult to defend. Um, and that that's that's an issue pretty much for every team. Um, look, the Eagles have a defined identity right now. Yeah. And it's an identity that does demand, though, that their defense play well. And their defense, while it lacks stars for the most part, you know, with the exception of a few players, Darius Slay's played as well as any corner. Um, inside uh, with their D-line, they've got some really good players. And they're capable of getting pressure with four, and that will be critical in this game. But the defense has to really hold up because their offense is not built to put up 30. Um, so we'll see. But But they could easily control the pace and tempo of the game with their run game and that that changes how games play out so it's really a fascinating matchup uh so I'm, I'm glad that you said that because i feel like you know people who haven't necessarily watched the eagles or seen the kind of ways that the bucks have changed uh, from their run defense standpoint or, or they're not quite as good as they have been in years past with it would look at this matchup and say well tom brady's getting getting off easy with this eagles team coming in at the time that they are now but it would the film would seem to disagree with that just kind of generalization yeah i think the eagles defense a couple of you know tactical points the eagles like to play with five across their defensive front and they rush five and and so that gets cataloged as a blitz but it's not a true blitz because they're on they're five on the ball defenders you know they're first level on the ball defenders I don't know if they can do that this week for this reason, because if you're going to rush five on the ball, first level players, then you're likely playing man coverage. And I don't think they can do that well in this game, or you're playing kind of three under three deep in a, in kind of a cover three variation. And there's too many voids for Brady. I think that they have to rush four and play coverage behind it with seven and try to minimize the voids. Um, so we'll see what they decide to do, but they're going to need to control the game with their run game, and they're going to need Jalen Hurts to save some plays with his legs when they do throw it. So from one quarterback to the next, Greg, I thought Jimmy Garoppolo played really, really ah. well against the uh, <clears throat> against yeah. the LA Rams, and that game, you know, it was pretty interesting to watch. We were watching at the press box in Houston play out. But with the variance that we've talked about before with the Dallas Cowboys defense, this seems like a really, really good opportunity for San Francisco to take advantage. Well, a couple of points here. Number one, with Dallas, you sort of know what you're going to get. They play the highest percentage of cover one man coverage in the NFL. So you've got to attack and beat man. And what the Niners do is they do a ton with motion. They do a ton with formation looks. They do a ton with their receiver distributions and locations. So they they attack and they create leverage versus man coverage. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to talk about the Diggs-Samuel matchup. The question is, will that occur as often as people think? Samuel moves around the formation. He's not a guy who lines up in one spot. Will Diggs go with him wherever he goes? We don't know that. Right. Um, Diggs normally stays on the outside. Um, But the Cowboys' defense does have you know, playmakers at all three levels. Yeah. And Micah Parsons will be back this week. Gregory's there. Lawrence is there. Um, we know Diggs is a playmaker, although I think he's a beatable corner. I don't think overall he's played as well as his interception total would suggest. Um, 
But when all said and done, the Niners offense starts with the run game. It normally starts with the outside zone run game. Their mantra is we take the edge until you take it away. And then we start working back inside one gap at a time. Um, so th- I, this to me is a fascinating matchup on that side of the ball. Really fascinating. Well, the, the best part about all this is they're all great matchups at this point for the most. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are, you know, for the matchup show, these are the kinds of games where, you know, we could do a whole show on each game, but obviously we can't. Right. And then I get aggravated, Buck, when the show's done. I wish I could have said that. I wish I could have said that. But the problem is we have 21 minutes and, you know, 21 minutes to do six games is just not enough. <laughs> no, it's it's really not. But the matchup show, well worth your time. Of course, set your DVRs and get ready for the postseason. Quickly, Greg, I want J.J. I, Watt and his he's been designated to return from injured reserve. Unclear if he'll be available, but their defense I, I feel like it. I mean, Chandler Jones is, is spectacular, but I felt like their defense wasn't nearly talked about enough for all the good work that they did and how good Watt was up until he got hurt. Yeah. In week eight. Defense, how much of a difference does that make? Oh, a huge difference. But, but, and we know that. But the, right now, their issue is their secondary because yeah. look, they signed Breon Borders, you know, the old uh, Titan. So, and he started last week. So yeah. they're they're struggling at corner in terms of, you know, who they're putting out there. And now they're going to play the Rams. And we know that the Rams receivers, it's a really, really good group. I mean, they have Beckham. They've got um, Cup. They've got Jefferson. Skaronic, the rookie from Notre Dame, has played meaningful snaps, and he's been a factor here and there. Higby is a very good receiving tight end. So they're going to have to get pressure. And, you know, Stafford can get stuck at times because Stafford likes to push it down the field. Um, but you know, it, it's how they match up. They have not played as much man coverage this year as Vance Joseph, their DC did a year ago. And my guess is that's because he's just not comfortable with his corners. I think Marco Wilson is due back on yeah. um, the rookie from Florida who had been starting pretty much right. all year. So he'll be back as a starter. I would imagine. That's going to be a lot of fun this weekend playoffs yeah. officially the NFL matchup show with Greg Cosell, Sal Pal. And Matt Bowen, make sure you set your DVRs. I'm sure. What, Greg, what's the schedule for this weekend? You mean when are we on? Yes. Uh, I, I think I have that information. I can tell you. <laughs> um, so we're on three times on Saturday because they're Saturday games. Right. So for uh, those people who don't go to bed, uh, we're on it from 4 to 4.30 a.m. That's Early me. Saturday morning. Always appreciate you guys keeping me company. <laughs> yeah. 6.30 to 7 a.m. Saturday morning on ESPN and 8 to 8.30 on ESPN2 Saturday morning. Perfect. And if you can't catch it live, set your DVR. Uh, Greg, always a pleasure. Exciting stuff, and I'm looking forward to seeing how these play out. Me too, Buck. Thanks. Hey, everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network on YouTube or wherever you listen.